Welcome back to The Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin, and my guest today is the award-winning hedge fund manager, Hugh Hendry, who is also a well-known market commentator, real estate investor, among many other things. Today, we talk about the likelihood of a market crash versus a soft landing in 2023. I got Hugh's thoughts on whether or not inflation had peaked or if higher numbers are coming, and if he values gold right now in this current macroeconomic climate. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed hosting it. And just beneath this piece of content, as always, there's a link where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I publish every Sunday and I love writing it. I share my biggest takeaways from conversations just like this and plenty others. The link is right down there. Now here is Hugh Hendry. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin. And finally, I'm joined by Hugh Hendry. Hugh, I've been watching you for years, and it's a pleasure to finally get you on my show. I'm looking forward to this. I felt your glares. That, that, now, now that explains much. You were watching me. I, I hope you didn't see anything <laughs> I did, especially not in the last few days. Yeah, I'm going to surprise you during this interview. <laughs> Bring Look, it on. Um, Let's start here. You know, I have guests on my show three times a week, and I hear typically one of two stories, one of which is 2023 is going to be the big economic crash that we've all been waiting for. And the second voice is, you know what, this isn't going to be nearly as bad as the doom and gloom pundits are forecasting, and we're looking at a fairly soft landing, and a lot of this drama is overblown. Do you fall in either one of those camps when you think about 2023, 2024, and you know crash or, or soft landing oh heavens right so i i am really trying beyond my powers um to live for the moment you know okay um, the um to my great cost i've learned about the impermanence of life and so today's very important and 2023 is such a long way off <laughs> The, um, but, um, but it does, you know, it, it kind of resonates. So I'm, I'm aware of that, that, sh that schism, if you will. And, and I feel like it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's a little bit like a, it's kind of double bluff. Um, and so reluctantly, if I had to choose between the two, I'd be into, yeah, I, I, I fear bad things happening next year. So the, to, to expand upon that, I feel it's almost like Wall Street is the system, it's the matrix, and the and it's a double bluff. And like, you know that the the treasury market, you know that the the yield curve and its curvature, um, you know that it's always right, and and it's been screaming for eighteen months that the Fed was kind of on a mendacious path that typically unleashes bad things and and it's just been nailing it all the way and refining it and getting it and and wall street and all these hedge funds who are down on the year on their ass and they're like but what if actually it was the most pre predicted event in the universe and the most predicted events in the universe never uh, follow through i like okay so let's consider that um the only thing i'd hold against that is the Federal Reserve, like you're, if you're pursuing that, what does pursuing that mean? If you've got substantial risk capital at risk, if that doesn't happen and, and, and the consequences are your life's going to be profoundly unpleasant, 
would you really choose to have the Fed as the catalyst for preventing all the bad things happening to you? Because to my mind, that doesn't make sense, right? So where we are just now is like, I literally cannot think of a time when the Fed finesse things, when the Fed's like, yeah, like now we're, we're going to start easing and we're going to ease you into this flight path where there's a recession, but it's mild and, and things improve, right? When, when did that last? When, when did that ever happen? Mm-hmm. Did mm-hmm. it ever happen? Because in my experience, I've been doing it for 30 years. In my experience, the Fed retreats with the tail between its ass. It, it retreats when, you know, the last time it retreated was 2018 with the S&P down 20%. Okay. If we go back to the big one, S&P down 55% from the highs, uh, 2008, 2009, um, it, it, it doesn't get it. I mean, it didn't get it. It, it, was, it was slow to react and to join the tightening party. Okay. Mm-hmm. And again, it just doesn't leave confidence that they're really going to nail the point of easing. So I, I think they, I mean, of course they will ease, but they will be forced into easing and being forced into easing would suggest that kind of bad things are going to happen. Okay. And so that would partially be because of just the, you know, whether the Fed's tightening, whether they're easing, we don't feel the impacts of that immediately, maybe one or two quarters down the road. And so we're still tightening today, but we don't feel the full impacts of the tightening measures taken today. Inevitably, therefore, the Fed's going to have to quote unquote over tighten and break something before they realize it's broken and then turn around and try to fix it with easing, which will come too late and you're already dealing with a broken economy. What do you do in that scenario? Here's my sort of thoughts on this, Hugh. It's like bad things are coming. Okay, let's agree on that point. We don't know necessarily what they are. I'd love you to speculate for me. I believe you could then choose to participate in those bad things or opt out, maybe depending on how you structured your portfolio. You know, do you see any within that any major threats that are setting traps for investors right now? Anywhere where people are overexposed, overleveraged? Like, where are the key threats? I suppose for investors today, therefore. Well, it's it's still back to that previous analog with regard to so you know, there's one thing to bitch and to call the Federal Reserve names. I mean, that, that's that's easy. Um, but but why is their record poor? Okay, because I think we can add more depth to that, and and. What I would offer you is that the Federal Reserve is a regulator and an overseer of the production of sovereign US, new sovereign US dollar printing, i.e. it's the banking regulator of the domestic banking mm-hmm. sector. Um, and, and, and so it has this thing called M2 and it kind of measures it and, and you know it gave up measuring it quite a long time ago. It has this abstract thing called velocity. Um, and... and it's, it's all a bit of a mess. And, and what I believe has happened is that if we go back 50 years to the um, really the euro dollar system coming to the fore in the early 1970s, I want to say that the Fed was more relevant 50 years ago where sovereign dollar creation, which is you know, new loan creation domestically, was perhaps 80% of money, right? And remember, the, the, the thing that's most um, elevated in investors' consciousness just now is inflation. And, and so inflation is a monetary phenomenon. And so we are kind of obsessed. I think professional investors are way too 
obsessed by by the Federal Reserve because we're trying to measure this monetary phenomenon. And I'm saying to you that 50 years ago, the monetary phenomenon measured by the Federal Reserve was maybe 80% of the picture. Today, okay. I'm making these numbers up, right? But I, I feel like it's 20%, which is to say in the ensuing 50 years, the amount of non-sovereign dollar creation has come to overwhelm the thing that's the responsibility of the Federal Reserve. And so if you're only kind of tightly focused on 20% and kind of like almost disdainfully ignoring the, the elephant in the room, then maybe that would explain why you're persistently getting it wrong and inflicting damage on the economy. Now, what is damage on the economy? Um, we know, let's be factual again, rather than name calling, we know that the kind of 30, 35 year uh, trend rate, so that this is a linear rate, and then you would superimpose cyclicality on top of it, but US was kind of doing 2.7%, boom, 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 until the 15 years since 2008, where that, that growth rate has halved, okay? Now, maybe it's halved for many reasons. Of course, it's halved for many reasons, but the Fed's had three hiking cycles which have been aborted in that 15 years. And my hypothesis is, what if the Fed had not tightened in the 15 years? Would the trend growth rate be kind of closer to what we'd come to expect? That's the charge sheet that I have against the Federal Reserve. I believe we're actually operating in a, in a depression. Maybe it's a mild depression, but it's a depression in that we, for whatever reason, we've been unable to re-attain the growth rate that we previously enjoyed, enjoyed. And each year that we failed, that kind of output gap, if you will, it's trillions of cumulative dollars, um, which is feeding a lot of, um, a lot of anger um, in, in, the, in the real world. So that's kind of, you know, the, you know, why did, why did Fed, uh, the QE tapering in 2013 was, was the Fed encouraging a dialogue, encouraging the private sector into almost a panic to, to double rates, the 10 year rate doubled to 3%. Adult unemployment was seven and a half percent. Why did we double 10 year rates in 2013? I don't think it was a good thing. I think it actually harmed the, the, the path of prosperity. And, I, and the Fed started that dialogue. Why did Janet Yellen start raising rates? Albeit tiny, I think Janet gets off with things because she's always been somewhat timid. Why did Jay then come in and really kind of hit the meadow in 2018 only to have to kind of turn ass when the yeah. S&P present? Mm, you know, so that's, that's my problem. So with regard to investors, the, the principal risk that you're underwriting today um, the present level of risk, I believe, assumes that the Fed's got it. The, the Fed is, has hiked. The Fed is telling you it's hike, it's, it, the rate of the intensity of the hiking is less um, and that it's, it's observant and it's looking for an excuse um, to, to moderate and then to, to reverse. And the Fed's got it. If the Fed doesn't have it then the entire risk structure of pricing today is wrong, which is to say prices are elevated and prices will have to fall. Okay. Okay. And so what, let me try to understand this a little bit better, Hugh. What do you think is the motivation, therefore, of the Fed to continue going back to the trough of tightening rates only to abort that strategy inevitably, eventually? And if I understood your position on that. You think that's one of the reasons we've only realized about half the economic growth that we used to 
is because the Fed keeps on coming back to pump the brakes, slow things down. This causes a depression in economic growth. But what's the motivation behind it then? Is it, is it, I mean, is it, is it strictly to focus on managing the inflation numbers or what, what are your thoughts? The inflation, the, the inflation numbers, um, they, they, they feel profoundly um, vulnerable to, and, they, and rightly so, uh, for for the inf the inflation that they found themselves, you know, they, they they didn't see it, they dismissed it until they were called into action, and you know, and, and they feel vulnerable with regard to you know the politicians are like Jesus, sort it out, you know, it's, it's on your watch. Um, mm. But I just again, again, given their prior actions, I just don't believe that they're cognizant of the. The environment that the global economy finds itself in. I don't think they're cognizant of the vulnerability that exists within the economy today. Um, I have Portuguese guys putting in a, a, a resin floor. Um, um, so the so fe effective policy action, okay, but um, is is waging psychological warfare. And, and it's typically trying to change and influence the behavior of the providers of credit, okay? Because the principal issue is always um, inflation. And so if we think of, we know today, I always think of the, call it GDP, but I prefer to call it like your family household wallet. And, and we know what's going out. And we know that all of your, most of your expenditure, you know in advance, and you know that uh, prices are elevated to the tune of 10%. So wherever you're spending a year ago, you're spending 10% more. Okay. Mm -hmm. And central bank is trying to influence the fact that if there's 10% money coming into your wallet or plus, then you can sustain and permeate that elevated um, level of higher prices. If you can have six or 4% growth of money coming in, then you know that at some point, the inflation will moderate because they're just again it's a monetary phenomenon there isn't yeah. there aren't dollar bills um to furnish it um so when i go back what i i can see a, a profound breach between the years up until 2007 8 and the subsequent years and the breach that i can find is the psychology of credit providers um changed and became um fearful um, and their willingness to extend credit less so. Um, now, mostly that is in, again, the production of sovereign dollars, which is banks extending credit. Um, where it's not been that the case, it's been in the euro dollar market, where they're like, hey, you know, let's have a party kind of thing. Um, and there is a, the euro dollar system is credit provision, which is hosted and facilitated by collateral. And we get cycles when that system makes errors with regard to the integrity of the collateral that it's willing to accept, and therefore the collateral that's willing to encourage it to print dollars. So what I want to say is the disaster of 15 years ago was, hey, these things are always with good intention and with an intelligent narrative. A mortgage-backed security, like taking a mortgage itself, which is Less it's a high quality asset because anyone with a mortgage will kind of go to the end to um, to not default on the house, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that makes it an interesting asset to, to own. And then up until two thousand and seven eight, 
we had zero observations that US house prices fell en masse together uniformly. And so the idea of um, having geographical diversification against what is implicitly a very safe asset, you were creating a, a piece of collateral which was on, on, on a par with treasuries and arguably even less risky, okay? And, and so with that collateral, you had the ability to print dollars. And so the only thing that was uppermost in people's minds was to get their hands on collateral. To get collateral, you just had to, to lend to people who wanted a mortgage. Um, and then, and, and again, 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 like you could go to the euro dollar system and say, here's a billion dollars of MBS, and you'd get pretty much a billion dollars of, of new dollar printed cash to then go on and speculate elsewhere. Yeah. Until you had you know, this most overused expression, but was it a black swan? Suddenly you had one observation, all the swans were white, and suddenly there was one black. There was a year where house prices fell across the continent of America, right? And so that was like, yeah, that wasn't meant to happen. Um, and that created profound pan panic because the system which was extending credit had to kind of about trying to say, all these mortgage-backed securities, we have a 24 underwriting window, and tomorrow morning, we want you to take those MBS back and we want you to replace them with 10-year uh, treasuries. If you can't do that, we're closing you. And a lot of participants couldn't do it. And so credit got burnt and we had a profoundly uh, desperate, or we've had a profoundly desperate set of affairs for the last 15 years owing to that collateral mistake. Um, same collateral mistake is, is working, its, working its way to an end in, in, in the crypto market. Um, you know, the, the chart sheet against, you know, um, SBF is again, he was a bit like we do in IPOs and stuff where you issue like a, a tiny percentage of the float. Mm. And it doesn't take much to lift the value of three, like a 3% float, and suddenly it's worth 60 billion. It's trading on your platform, and oops, there was like a heavy trade, and the price just keeps going up. And suddenly all of the float is valued at $60 billion, your stable coin, and you go to the credit provider and say, how much, how, how many new dollars would you give me if I pledged my 60 billion? I'm like, wow, we love this. We'll give you 60 billion dollars. And, and what we discovered this year is, you know, the integrity of that collateral was, was very much uh, questionable. And so all that's been unwound. Anyway, and that being unwound, I mean, the effect of that, I had a dinner with money managers and they were saying, to your point about, is this a benign cycle? Or is next year going to be heavy on the economic activity? And managers will say, it's you know, it's not like we've had an LTCM. It's not like we had a Penn, Penn Station bankruptcy, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, what are you talking about? You've just wiped out $2 trillion of crypto, which is 10% of GDP. You've vaporized 10% of, of GDP. That's a big deal. I'm like, oh, you think so? So I don't know. Um, what I'm seeing is a profound revision in the collateral that was accepted by the dominant monetary phenomenon of the age, euro dollar. They're calling it in and they're seeking to replace it with, with dollar treasuries. It's one of the, it's the dominant factor why the dollar has been strong. And at the margin, as you, as people cannot replace like for like, then you're seeing, I'm seeing a lot of credit destruction in the non-sovereign dollar market. And then the inflation was never the responsibility of exuberant domestic US banks lending too much to households in the corporate sector. So I don't really get the Fed's action. So I see a profound problem 
in the in the large monetary phenomenon, the euro dollar system, and and I see the kind of the domestic banking sector being beaten up for no apparent reason. You put them two, two together, and I, I'm fearful for what happens next. Now, is there anything, Hugh, that would that would prove that expectation wrong? Could something change that you could imagine? Whether probably not some decision by the Fed, but maybe or some kind of development, anything that comes to mind that could derail that expectation? Yeah, but you know what? You don't have to name it. Um, I mean, to this day, sure. there, there's no, I was going to say academic, but I mean, there's just no um, clear defining factor for the cause of the October 1987 Wall Street crush. Right, yeah, okay, good point. There's a yeah. number of yeah. candidates for it. Yeah. But yeah. no one can actually tell you what it is. And, and if that's the, you know, if that's going to happen over the next 12 months, it'll be the same. It'll be contentious. No one will agree upon it, um, which is why I have the, the audacity to, to try and uh, conceive of contentious narratives uh, because I al align them with market price trends. So to answer your question directly and not to be as long and verbose as I was previously, um, there's a clear line in the sand. If 10-year treasuries, they got to almost 4.5% like two months ago, less than, and if they take that out and they trade higher. I'm wrong. I don't know why I'm wrong, but I'm yeah. wrong. Okay? What's been interesting is in the last two months, um, and indeed the action, the price action this week, treasury is kind of kind of holding it. Now, they, they have to hold it, you know, the treasury market is in a, has been in a 40-year bull market, um, and it's been at levels where further dis pricing distress just um, takes out the long-term trend. And I'm a trend guy. I have contentious posture allied with, with, with price trend. What I find is markets sometimes are willing to dispense with the prevailing trend and put on a narrative and say, this is going to happen. I'm not that person. Um, I'm aligned to it. So to answer your question, if 10-year treasuries go on and make a, a higher price yield than the high of this year, sure. then there will be factors that I've been unable to distill in my head. And those factors, um, will those factors be good for risk assets? I don't know. I mean, um, it would challenge, it would certainly challenge my thesis, which is uh, I think we could flip very rapidly into a, a progressively very intensely deflationary, horrible moment again. Mm. It would, clearly, it would, it would turn that on its head. Now, we, you touched briefly on the crypto crash that we're watching unwind, and FTX is obviously the latest headline-making blow-up. Um, do you think that contagions through, Hugh? Do you think we're, we're through this crash that kind of began in June? I think that was probably when Almeida blew up, but we didn't see it until more recently. And that's when it came to light. This was a long time coming though. And those wheels were in motion since last spring, more than likely. Uh, I know you recently interviewed uh, Three Arrows Capital to get a new perspective on it. Like, what are your thoughts on that sector right now? And, you know, I'm expecting, I'm actually kind of bullish on the industry. If you're willing to acknowledge, you're probably in for three, four years of pain as things rebuild. I mean, that's typically how these go, but what do you think? Um, I, I don't know. So the, first and foremost, um, you, I do know you have to condition your mind 
um, to respect very large drawdowns. So the fact that we've traded from what, 65, 66,000 down to, to 16,000, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you have to say it's a safer environment. If, if this was the S&P, I'd be a buyer of the S&P. Okay. okay. And the, the, the problem, my personal problem in answering that question is that Bitcoin seems to uh, attribute or others attribute um, price targets higher and higher based off the asset values elsewhere. You know, so um, gold is about 11 trillion um, uh, market uh, capitalized asset. And part of the debate was, well, kind of like gold now has legit legitimate competition. Why sure. can't why can't Bitcoin take half of the money that's typically allocated there? I mean, that that's a legitimate piece of uh, rational thinking. And of course, that would that would apportion um, Bitcoin a valuation five times greater than that it enjoys today. Um, and then the, the, the same thinking is then attributed to the size of the, the tips market, which is way less than gold. It's attributed to the size of commercial property as being, again, a domain where family offices and wealth preservation typically would be investing in a portfolio of commercial property. That's a very large market, but it's very determined on um, other asset classes. I'm still very fearful that we're in an, an environment where all asset classes are falling. And so um, to, to align myself or, or to speculate on the upside on an asset class, and maybe I'm being unfair, but an asset class that I attribute higher valuations to a bull market elsewhere. I'm not in a bull market kind of uh, mentality just now. So um, yeah. I just, you know, first and foremost, seeing the future is absurd, right? Yeah, um, okay. I don't like being very strong on, and very, very definite on absurd outcomes, which I've just absolutely no take on. But am I rushing out to buy Bitcoin today at 16,000? No, I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, um, I think it could trade a lot lower. I um, but I wish it well. To you, to your point, um, my 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 interest is that I think the monetary order is is in need of revision, profound revision. I think um, we are kind of the late nineteen twenties, where the gold standard was uh, aborted, was taken out, was killed, never to return. Hopefully, um, we know that it was then replaced ish by bread and woods but bread and woods kind of it reads well but in practical terms it didn't really exist and the private sector had to come up with its own solution which was euro dollar and i think the euro dollar system the creation of non-sovereign dollars is past maturity and and i think actually what's going to happen is that the u.s is going to is going to reject you know this exorbitant privilege that the u.s can print dollars and pay off its debts um, I see it as an absolute um, encumbrance on entrepreneurship in the U.S. And I think in the coming years, the U.S. is going to reject that system. Um, okay. Which let is me, contentious. Let me ask you a question. If you were to wind back, and it's still today, but you're now in your early 30s, your kids are super young, you're in the wealth creation part of your life, looking for opportunities. Yeah. You know, today, Hugh, where would you look in terms of location of where you might uh, build your family, right? Uh, industry, where the entrepreneur in you might focus your attention. Portfolio allocation, where you'd look for upside and maybe where you look for defensive mechanisms and wealth storage and preservation. What, where, what comes to mind right now? 
Nothing. The uh, so if if we go back, if we wind the clock back, um, the joy of my life was the recognition that there's always a bull market starting somewhere. You just mm. got to be curious and willing to look. Okay, and so what I uh, would do is I I I was obs obsessed by long term price charts, and and I was very obsessed by um, relative price charts, asset classes relative to each other. Okay, um, and you, know, for instance, I, I stumbled with great good fortune into the emergence of the gold bull market. I made fifty percent my first calendar year in the hedge fund in two thousand and three. Why? I mean, the the principal interest was like curiosity. Was looking at lots of charts um, that gold did nothing as Nasdaq melted away, fell eighty percent. But if you put yeah. it on on a rail chart, if you've all adjusted it, you had like three, four, five years were in doing nothing, the rail chart was now suddenly positively trending and really challenging, like 25 years of previous data. And it was screaming at, to mine, it was screaming at a mind like mine saying, something's changing here, something's changing. Mm -hmm. And you know, it seemed like, well, what's changing? You know, the thing that was changing was uh, was the, the rise and rise of China and its impact on, on all uh, commodity asset classes. Um, so I'd still be doing that. Um, so I, I wouldn't wish to impose a prejudice, put blinkers. I mean, I still charge charge sheet for the Fed is they have blinkers. It's like, there's, we're looking at 20% of the money and there's 80% either side. We're not looking at it, we're looking here. Um, I I will buy anything. You know, when I was at my Zenith, I would buy anything with, with you know, I, I loved the stories of Jesse Livermore and I'd buy it immediately just because I was like, I, I liked a little bit of excitement. I wouldn't buy a lot, I'd buy a little bit just to, to, to feel the sensation. And then if, yeah. if the team could convince me that there were, there were merits and it wasn't just an aberration, then we would scale into it. To your point about where we are today, I still kind of subscribe to something like a 40 year life cycle in, in terms of asset classes that the, um, the 1970s, the Federal Reserve was able to raise rates to 20% because the economy had finally deleveraged from the kind of 4X debt GDP of the late 1920s. Uh, deleveraging takes a long, long time. If you deleverage quickly, you, you kill the economy. So it takes really, really long time. It took 40 years. And 40 mm -hmm. years kind of like you're 20, you, you enter the labor pool and you exit at 60, roughly, yeah, 40 years. And I find that that, that, that number um, um, generates cycles, which I'm very aware of. Um, so, and again, I'd say to you that the Fed being at 20 on an economy where debt was 1x GDP feels a lot like the Fed being at terminal rates of five to God knows where those blue dots are, five, five and a half percent but that's four times GDP. So five times four, uh, they tell me is, is 20%. Kind of like, I see the Fed at 5% being really, 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 really dangerous. You know, like really bad things can happen because of all that outstanding debt. Um, but to hold it together, the treasury bond market has been in a 40-year bull market and, and nothing lasts forever. So the treasury bull market, my my. I would assert is uh, in its last innings. But where I differ from people is if a profoundly historic bull market is going to end, it will end with drama and with absurdity, and it will catch people the wrong way around. And so I, as evidence, I would, I would cite the emergence of the bull market, 
So the emergence of the bull market, the Fed goes to 20. Between 19, I want background between 1980 and 1982. The US was in a profoundly deep recession and the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates a lot. And if you had a pulse, if you were watching things, inflation was decelerating. You know, it wasn't like you had to keep fighting it and then it just died and it collapsed. Inflation, if you had a price trend, was trending lower and lower and lower. Okay. Um, and no one was willing to accept that inflation was abating. The Fed went to 20 and 10 year treasuries went to 16. Michael Steinhardt was sued by his clients because he was buying treasuries. Like, why would you do that? Okay. That was kind of absurd. Inflation was falling. You should have been doing that. And so I think this time around, I think. There's one, I may be wrong, maybe it was COVID when we got to 50 basis points, but I'm willing to suggest that we could go back to those levels on the basis of the damage created by um, the errors and tightening here and the consequences of the tightening here. I find the consequences um, will be manifest by the problems in China. Um, and China and the US are, are drawn very, very closely together via the dirty float. Um, and I, and I feel that the mercantilism, it has transferred, the, the Chinese Communist Party has transferred so much wealth from its household sector and it's planted it into the US economy. And I think it's destroyed the price of money. I don't think it's the Federal Reserve. I think quantitative, quantitative easing is a joke. I think it's, it's, it's propaganda. Uh, the, the true monetary erosion has come from um, these huge uh, pools of mercantilist money sitting in the US. The same thing happened See, that for the, the Chinese, like, get off our back, which is a legitimate claim, because the US, the US performed the same thing. We have freely floating exchange rates, and within a freely float, supposedly freely floating exchange rates, and within a system like that, um, disequilibrium does not persist because market prices change to bring on um, a change to the equilibrium, a movement in the equilibrium. Um, so the, um, in, the, in the US, what should have happened was, um, well, what did happen was gold came more and more into the domain of the US. That gold uh, was supposedly there to be held as high-powered money in the bank vaults of the domestic institutions and encourage them to lend more, to stoke a boom into a super boom and to raise prices and to take away the competitiveness that the US enjoyed in the 1920s vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, the US did not allow, the Fed did not allow the incoming gold to, to reach uh, the banking institutions. Um, took a view that it didn't want to have a super, super boom. Kind of, you could say wise, but it was subverting uh, uh, the international tr trade um, and, and the notion of clearing. And, and therefore the consequences were felt uh, with the destruction of the monetary system at the end of that decade. Um, China's doing the same thing. Um, the Chinese currency, I think, should be trading below five, closer to four. Uh, today it's trading at say seven and a half. And bear in mind in 1994, which is a hell of a long time ago, that's when we had um, the North American uh, free, free Trade Agreement, China was allowed to devalue to nine and a half. So since 1994, when you think of the, revel the, the very positive financial entrepreneurial revolution that's taken place in China, you think of all that. In I mean, they just have infrastructure that works, you know. Um, and its currency has appreciated from 9.4 to seven and a half. That's like 20% over 30 years. You know, that's, that's why I say to you, it should be trading closer to four. So it hasn't, and that's how they're subverting the system like the US did. And again, that's kind of why I think the US ultimately 
we'll we'll just pull a rug from it and say we're not playing this game anymore. But I fear it could be with a devaluation of the Rumimbi vis-a-vis the dollar to like to back to where it traded with NAFTA. Um, that would be a profoundly deflationary event. Do you currently hold gold, Hugh? You mentioned your experience um, in that sector. What are your current thoughts on the gold market? Uh, well, gold just um, gold is troubled just now by the level of real rates. Um, gold has performed um, the the performance of gold in 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 the the recent fifteen year window. It's been at its strongest when. Um, the expectation of real rates has been zero or, or below zero, uh, which makes sense because you know it, it doesn't carry any yield in, in itself. Um, the, the most perfect time for gold kind of was when Apple was a three trillion dollar um, security when ten year treasuries were, were fifty basis points, um, where you had two percent negative real rates. Um, you, i.e., you had a period of um, if you were confiscating the, the wealth of the creditor class. And I think we, we need more of that. Um, again, the Fed's interfered with that. So I, as crazy as it was to have um, such elevated price levels in, in asset prices, it meant that the 10-year forward expected growth rate was, you know, if you weren't drinking Kool-Aid, was kind of like zero. Um, and that's how you have financial repression. That's how you guide an economy that's on four times debt and perilous, and where the supporting collateral is wealth, and wealth's kind of, you know, being attacked by the Fed raising rates. Um, so gold, gold is lacking presently um, an intellectual reason uh, to go higher. Um, mm. You know, the the Fed in in tackling head on asset price values is is creating more value, like the long term growth rate for investing in the S and P is maybe one or two percentage points higher than it was 18 months ago. Paradoxically, I don't think that's good for gold. So, but to that point, I mean, I, um, my investment portfolio, um, I'm just <laughs> fully loaded with St. Bart's uh, real estate, um, finance, financed. Yeah, I've got, I've got dollar customers coming in. I'm financed in euros. It's, um, it's a euro asset base. Um, I'm fixed, fixed rate for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did find that I got a, a self-select pension scheme, and yeah, it's just got it's, it's got gold shares and silver shares and stuff. But kind of embarrassed when I look at it. Hmm. Okay, you're all in on St. Bart's real estate. Interesting. The other thing with gold, sorry, is and I like saying this: um, gold is absurd. I mean, it, 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 there's just no strong intellectual reason why you should own it unless you can get a, an environment of, of negative real interest rates. Um, and I find like it's a protest vote by the, the community of investors. Like it, it worked really well in the 70s because the 70s was just insane. Like just so many dumbass things happen. You know, you know, the Arab community two times decided to have, you know, to, to impose a, a price cartel and raise prices to, to the moon. Federal Reserve decided to raise rates to 20% in a, the mother of all economic recessions. Russia invaded Afghanistan. You know, the Iranians took U.S. hostages. The U.S. went, can you please give us our hostages back? Sent a few helicopters in an ill-fated attempt, as opposed to just invading the place and beating ass. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. And people were just like, 
you know, like just give give me something that's really absurd. Let's make it go higher just to show the politicians <laughs> that the system is stupid. And then gold was, you know, pulled back when order was restored. You know, we had 20, 30 years of order, like the 80s and the 90s. Lots of kind of sensible good things happened. There's mm -hmm. no place in a world where kind of good, sensible things are happening. So gold is in my self-select because I do think we are on the, the dawn, the age of, of, of chaos. I think chaos is step-by-step is, um, step being, being, uh, being set free. And if chaos is, if chaos is on the stage, then, then, you know, it's like Dadaism, you've got to own gold for no reason except it's just why not like screw the system. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of where I was going with that when, you were like, gold's got no purpose when good, sensible things are happening. And I'm, I was kind of looking at the current environment saying, I'm not seeing very many good, sensible things occurring uh, that are giving me confidence, instability, and certainty. I think the 2020s are going to be how the 2020s have been thus far, right? Some continued, unprecedented, unpredictable trajectory of chaos and uncertainty. We might be just getting started. Um and I don't know what direction that goes, right? But like, I actually own gold for that reason. It's kind of like my, it's kind of like a bug out bag, right? It's like, I, I've just got this opt out strategy, right? This bit of a war chest that maybe is less correlated to whatever weird decisions are being made at the policy level that I can't control. But having this historic hard asset maybe buffers me against that. Um, history shown that it can, but I was curious to get your thoughts on it. And I feel like where you kind of landed is, did. Yes. God, we landed on the sweet spot. Um, and for you, that's, but again, it's war. No more than 10% of your asset base. Yeah. 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 Because it is absurd. <laughs> 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 if the price kind of sorts itself out, uh, it's, it's something you'd be happy adding to. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and you would, the absurdity of the world would definitely be a kind of clarion call to add to it. Um, but mm. I'm a price trend. I'll, I'll buy new, new price highs gladly. Sure. Right. Now, when you talked about the problems in China, uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned this. I was wondering, are you thinking about the demographic challenges? Oh, Some recent yeah. demographic data I saw projected China's population to half by the year 2100, given their current birth rates and Etc. What What are you focused on when you say the problems in China? What are you looking at? The high tick in their problem. I mean, um, I just go to sleep when people talk about demographics. Um, especially, it's like hey, by twenty one, by the twenty first century, I'm like <laughs> really, <laughs> like you know, let, let's go, let's rewind a hundred years, and someone's saying, hey, this, I think we should do this because in a hundred years time, yeah, I'm really yeah. up for that. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, all right. Um, but hey, look, you know, um, the high tech on the, on the property market was ninety trillion US dollars. I mean, come on, that's again, that is a triumphant act of Dadaism. That's so damn stupid. Ninety trillion. Put that in context. Um, US commercial property was really richly rated in the middle of last year, whatever. Um, and it was marked at 36 trillion. Mm. 36 plays 90. Mm, okay. Yeah. How on earth? And the great problem for the global economy is how on earth do you deflate a 90 trillion dollar Chinese property market? This is why they're 
their GDP calculator, you know, the, the guys with the jackboots, like, you know, like, okay, we want 5% GDP this year. Okay, da 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 da, da. Right. We're, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna build more apartments and we're gonna build more fast, fast rail trains, whatever. Perfect, except now that comes out at two. Why? Well, because, you know, that, that gigs, that gigs up. Um, you know, GDP growth has been plentiful in China the last, uh, the last 15 years. It's been plentiful relative uh, to say the US. Stock market's flat. Tiny stock market is flat. Why? Because you can create GDP growth if you choose to do so at the expense of wealth. The US has yet to take on that model. And, and I hope they, they, they avoid it. Um, mm. So yeah, China, it, it's, it's property um, and all of the, I mean, I, I, I think I, I think the Chinese are a wonderful nation. I just don't like how they're they're run. Um, the the world there's a there's a short there's a shortage of demand in the world. The way the world's meant to be is again, if that damn remember was trading at say four and a half, Chinese people would be their lot would be so much better vis-a-vis -vis ours. They would be wealthier vis-a-vis -vis us, like buying something. Funky that's made in what is made in America anymore? Uh, yeah, BMW made in in Germany. They could buy it and it would cost them forty percent less than it cost today. They'd be richer than they are, and their appetite to buy things would be enhanced, and they would exercise that. They would they would consume. Um, they're not allowed to, and that's what creates this huge, overwhelming splurge of savings, which has destroyed pricing. Um, the, the intelligence of pricing in a market-based market based economy. Um, and there's just no incentive to invest in productive capacity because the, the only potential source of real, genuine economic growth is muzzled by the political authorities in China. It's tragic. It will change, but it will change with a, with a bust of some sort. With a bust of some sort, you would have to. Look, Q, I know you got to jump. Um, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on the show and making this happen. Oh, Jay, thank you so much. And that, I think that has to be my worst ever show. I, I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming you. <laughs> <laughs> it was verbose, and I just lost myself several times in cul-de-sacs. <laughs> But I have me on again and I will be, boom, I'll be on point. I'll be. <laughs> Listen, thank you very much. It was a delight. I'm glad we did Dadaism. I'm glad you've got some gold. I'm glad you have the foresight to recognize that the future steps might be more and more absurdity in, in everything around us. I don't know. I can't, you know, I, I try not to make predictions and forecasts, but uh, like, you know, in the absence of having a clue what might happen next. <clears throat> It's not the worst thing to own, I think. Wise man. I like yeah. it. I like crystal. I didn't think it was bad at all, Hugh, but I would love to have you back on again. So I'll hold you to that for sure. But uh, have fun with your daughters. That's super cool. They're coming to visit you. And good luck with the coconut trees, man. God, I thought you were going to say good luck with the cocaine there, but no cocaine. Uh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. Have a good day. Thank bye bye. You. Thank you. Bye bye. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. 
All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.